You're listening to the Dark Depths Podcast. We would love if you could take a minute out of your day to follow the Dark Depths Podcast on Twitter, subscribe to our YouTube channel, give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to our show, or just tell a friend. If you feel up to it, you can also give us a donation on PayPal or support us on Patreon. Don't feel like you have to, though. Our show is always going to be free. That's all the announcements. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Dark Depth Podcast, your go-to place for the modern and legacy formats. I'm one of your hosts, Billy Mitchell, and I am here with the cunning instigator himself, Michael Mapson. How are you? I am okay. How are you? Doing okay. We're wrapping up school year, slowly but surely. Uh, I'm sure your wife is also in the same boat where we're doing uh, state testing right now. Uh, yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... Just trying to get through the next two weeks, and then Memorial Day, and then uh, basically graduation and end of year, all that fun stuff is upon us. So I'm just kind of coasting at this point. I love it. I, I wish I was coasting. I feel like I've been nonstop busy lately. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, I know you've been doing some, you know, obviously some work stuff and whatnot, but you also what recorded with uh, a good friend of ours a little bit earlier, right? Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, that wasn't <laughs> necessarily why I felt busy, but yeah, I did uh, stream with um, with dudes on Twitch earlier today. It's good times, good times. Did you guys play anything spicy? Uh, no, we just played Depths. Okay. Um, kind of the list that we were a card off of what I played in the showcase, um, which is like three cards off from what I won uh, in Pittsburgh with. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, he's and I know he's obviously in a much different time zone than than us. So, uh, was it was it early morning for him or was it like night for him? So it's early morning for me. So it was late at night for him. Okay. Uh, he's fourteen hours ahead of us. We started at eight a.m. Okay, so it's like his his ten p.m. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I have, to, I have to go back and watch the VOD. I, I had to drop off my car this morning, and I had a, I had a meeting at um, you know Westchester, so I had to kind of run around a little bit. But I, I definitely do want to go back and watch that. I'll try to put that the uh, if it comes when it goes up on YouTube. I'll try to put the link of it into the show notes for people at home. But you've just been busy yeah, besides was, that too. I mean, dealing with the car. Mm, oh yeah. Um, Dealing with the mold, uh, you know, we had to take everything out of the basement uh, to get that taken care of, and so I've been slowly working on putting things back in. But I'm also just kind of purging stuff as I go. Not that we have like a lot of clutter mm-hmm. necessarily. Um, I, th- I mean, you know this about me. Most people wouldn't. I don't really like owning stuff, um, so I've been t- <laughs> getting rid of stuff as as I put it back and like. Organizing it, it's actually, you know, the basement actually looks much better than it did before it got mold, which is, like, kind of interesting, but um, it's uh, it's been a lot of work, just, like, going through things and being, and then, because a lot of it, too, is, like, I'll see something, I'm like, what is this? And then I have to, like, figure out, is this important? If I don't know if it's important, like, go ask my wife, is this important? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, where does this go? 
that is definitely the the one thing that I think it's good about going through your stuff every so often. I guess in your case, you kind of have to do it, but being able to like downsize stuff and like I, I did that recently with magic cards where I kind of went through all my cards and I was like, am I actually going to play this? Probably not. Am I going to play this? Probably not. Um, but I think the number of, especially just because we're in that age where, you know, we we were in college, we were we had roommates at some point, and then we moved in with other people. Like, there's just, like, a bunch of, like, weird stuff that, like, floats around from place to place, whether it's, like, 15-year-old socks, which I threw out. I actually had 15-year-old socks that I um, threw out. I didn't know. I realized I still had them, but um, that's a thing. And then, but then you also had, like, yeah, I'm trying to think of something weird that we had oh we had a bottle of uh with italian dressing that expired in 2018 that was in our cabinets that i found and i'm like that's not good like yeah that's kind of gross it very much it looked fine but like i'm like i'm not i'm not gonna test this this theory so um yeah, yeah there's a number of things that like float around a lot longer especially just when you're our age where you're moving you're I mean, you guys moved, not a, not a ton, right? But you've moved a decent amount in the last five years, for example. So things start to yeah. accumulate. So, like, one of the things was when we packed to move, we should have gotten rid of more stuff, which didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but there is one person in our house who is better at throwing stuff away than the other. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, naturally. But we had, like, we had... Um, the stamps that we used on like our wedding invitation which you know had our apartment address and it's like we don't we don't need this no uh we don't live there anymore but like we had two stamps that had that apartment address and it was like we had leftover thank you cards from the wedding which it's like okay thank you cards never bad but like i don't know sending a thank you card that's like us that are very clearly wedding photos a little Mm. weird yeah probably don't need those I think that's one that you can, like, put in the, you know, get a shadow box or whatever, get someone to do some nice calligraphy and, like, you know, sign and date it, whatever. Or I could send them to my friend Billy Mitchell with a nice note saying, thank you for being a pal. Thank you for being a friend. Yeah, you could do that. I'd be, I'd be down for that. Um, you know, it's, but there's a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, the, um, we have one of those what's it called um stamps it's a stamp right so we have one of those stamps and we had one from the old uh from the apartment before we moved and it was the same thing where like we were moving and we're like oh make sure you pack that and we're like why would why would we pack this like it now becomes the second we leave this house it becomes obsolete we like we no longer need this anymore um but it's, it's hard to throw stuff out especially sentimental value and whatnot Dope. No sentiments here. Also, I think it's hard to argue you really need that even when you have that address. Uh, you know, it's obviously useful, but it's like, mm. how many letters do you actually send, you know? Uh, with the girls, we send a lot. Um, we, send, we send a bunch of cards to Ariel's family. Uh, we send, I mean, I send a bunch of magic cards. I have, I have a stamp for my, my TCG player store, but like that's a whole different thing, I guess. But I, I definitely send more things from to TCG player than I do to family members. But still, I, I, I'm going to guess probably, I don't know, 60 things a year, 80 things a year between... Okay. Yeah. As far as non-magic cards, I have sent, I believe, two pieces of mail 
the past like four years. Oh yeah, no, we're way past that. You got it, once you have kids, and everyone's like, you got to send thank you notes, and like everyone's everyone all everyone else's kids have birthdays. You got to send them birthday cards. It gets exhausting, but that's it, it has saved us a lot of heartache. The number of cards I've messed up, especially like going back to like the, the wedding, where like I would just like put the wrong date, and I'd be like, oh yeah, I live in you know. 145 instead of 154 i'm like oh, god damn it okay let's let's scrap this um the stamp definitely has saved myself a lot of a lot of hatred of myself at the very least uh not having to mess up the address at least i'll mess up other people's addresses like crazy but i don't have to mess up mine yeah i don't know it's a hard sell to me that it's uh that's necessary. Although, maybe I shouldn't talk because I've been waiting for, like, PPTQ-type events to come back because I have a stamp that I've been holding on to since they disappeared. For, for you know, when uh, when you run a limited event and you have the stamp mm-hmm. and you stamp, like, the packs or, like, you, oh, well, yeah, you typically yeah. draw something on a Sharpie so that you know, like, okay, players have not swapped in their own packs from, like, a mapped uh, deck box. I've, I've literally, I've been waiting and waiting just... <laughs> For competitive limited events to come back, um, I'm really excited. I uh, I got one. I, I don't know when it is yet, but I've already gotten the story that's like, okay, you, you can run our event. I'm like, perfect. Cool. <laughs> I, I want that one. I want to play at every other one of these events. But I'm really excited. I'm gonna stamp some packs. Yeah, I'm. Well, the when did that even start? I'm like trying to figure that out. I I haven't seen any events locally advertised yet but i you know that's hopefully gonna be my whole summer just trying to grind one of those and hopefully hit pretty early and then try to try to judge a couple events uh, i don't think it starts until july okay i got i got time then i guess we'll see how july goes because i right as of right now i i don't think i'm going to SCG syracuse anymore and I'm hopefully I'm on the wait list for the Buffalo Chicken Dip Legacy Ooh. event. In, in yeah, I forgot to sign up for it. <laughs> it's, there's a wait list already. Like I think I'm like eighth down on the wait list. So I'm hoping once we get a little little bit closer, I'll some people will drop off and I can jump in. But I mean, besides I guess right now I have the Legacy Pit is the only event I'm like actually signed up for. Um, I think I'm actually I think I'm signed up for the Buffalo Chicken Dip open also right now, but uh, the only one I'm, you know, really making plans for, at least, you know, with you at least, is the Legacy Pit open, which I think, I'm not sure if it's sold out, but I know they had a really good day one th- um, day of sales. Yeah, I just kind of assumed that they sold out, but actually, I didn't see anything saying they sold out, so I assume they didn't. I know, mm. like you, I know, I know that I saw the, hey, we had great sales, but I think they would have said, hey, we sold out. Yeah, that's what I figure too. So, yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're if you at home and you have not uh, signed up for that event, I think it's like October 1st. So, yep. I think it's something that you should definitely look into setting up sooner than later just because I, I do imagine it's going to sell out and be very close. And I, I you can always, uh, we were talking about this in our group chat, right? Worst case scenario, you sign up for the event, you realize the week before you can't make it, and then you ask for a refund. They, I think, it refunds you everything besides the fifteen dollars processing fee. Um, I think that's better to hold your spot if you are pretty sure you're going. And that's kind of the situation I was in. I was like, I'm 
96% sure I'm going to go. I obviously don't know what's going to happen with kids. Like, that's always uh, a concern. But, like, I'm pretty sure I'm going. Um, so I just booked it. And, you know, I'll hopefully see everybody there on for the event. And if something works out where I can't, I'll at least try to drive down for a day of it. And, you know, hopefully pass out some, some cool uh, Dark Depth swag. But, I mean, like, I, I think it's... A, it looks like it's going to be a fun event. Um, I'm not sure about the EV on the event, though. I was, I was trying to ma- figure out the math on that, and I I feel like it's EV negative for us to play, but, I mean, we're, we're going to win, obviously. But, I mean, between the two So of my them. plan when I go to an event is to win the event, so mm-hmm. therefore every event is plus EV. Good point, good point. Yeah. If you get first place in every event, you can't lose money. <laughs> Or if you did, something uh, went very wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go to Atlantic City and <laughs> put it all on black. And <laughs> uh, But, no, I mean, I, I think it'll be a good event. And at the very least, too, and, you know, you and I have talked about this before. Like, I, we're playing these events because Legacy is awesome and the community is great. Uh, not necessarily because we are planning on, you know, winning every single game match and, you know, getting holding a trophy. If that happens, it's really nice, but I, I'm really excited to see a bunch of people who said they're coming to the event, uh, meet up with some people in, per, uh, in person. Um, I know our friend Braden, for example, is going to be at the event playing his first big legacy event, uh, which will be really cool, and hopefully we can play some CEDH with him afterwards. Uh, you know, we might get a, an Airbnb, which would be really cool if we could, you know, have a, a Magic House for a couple days. Like, I, I'm excited just for the opportunity just to hang out with some good some good friends and hopefully get some good food while we're down there. Nah, man. No Airbnb. I looked at the prices. They're like... <laughs> for uh, for an eight-person Airbnb, it was like the price of two hotel rooms minus like $100. So I'd rather just be closer and have the guaranteed comfort. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Airbnbs are usually nice, but I always feel a little bit weird being in like a stranger's place. Um, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I can get over that, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. There's something for the comfort of, like, hotels are different, but they're always, like, you, there's, like, a limit, right? Like, they're all roughly the same. Yeah. Like, the, there will be... free free breakfast. Oh, I like breakfast. Love breakfast. Yeah, you get breakfast, you get a couple beds. There's hopefully a restaurant or two relatively close. And, like, I don't have to worry about the room being met. That's the only thing about Airbnbs that I really bother. Besides the boat, obviously, because um, the boat, we didn't have to worry about cleaning up too much. Um, but in general, like when you leave an Airbnb, like there's some kind of expectation that like, you know, it, the room will be put back together and like the sheets will be put into this pile or this bag by the door, you know, all that fun stuff. And hotels are just like, yeah, just, you know, don't break anything and, and we're good. It's like, cool. Awesome. So, yeah. And with Airbnbs, like, you have to deal with driving to the venue, which is not a huge thing, but then you have to deal with parking, and then, like, you have to deal with making sure everyone wants to leave at the same time, and, mm-hmm. like, uh, you have to, like, kind of organize people's schedules. Uh, you know, I, I booked us a hotel that is in walking distance, so, like, it doesn't matter. I can wake up, I can go eat my breakfast, and I can leave. And if you guys don't wake up and shower or whatever, you know, that's on you. Like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a lot easier. A lot less moving parts there. Yeah. 
Anyways, do you think we should talk about magic at some point? Or, like, I'm, should we talk for just, like, just chit-chat for, like, an hour? I mean, we can do both, right? I mean, <laughs> we were talking about magic-adjacent topic, so it, it's pretty close. Uh, no, we probably should. Um, let... I know, so I don't know if you listen to the Dead Format podcast, and you don't have to answer, uh, but they, um, you know, they they said that they, their first, they, you know, just came back from a hiatus, and their first episode back, they just, like, chatted about life for, like, 30 minutes, and so the next episode, they immediately started by saying, hey, we got some complaints, we didn't talk about magic enough. <laughs> <laughs> so... So, you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't copy their formula. I enjoy listening to them, but... Yeah. Well, like, that's the other thing. If you listen to the show, and this is just, like, good life advice, right? If you listen to the show and you're like, you know what? I don't care about Billy's Day. I don't care what Mattson did last night. I hate these people. You should probably, one, not listen to us, or two, just skip ahead. Like, the beautiful thing about recorded content is that you can just skip, 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 skip until you're like, you know what? I'm okay with this now. Like, the number of podcasts I listen to where, like, I know the first two minutes is going to be, oh, have, have you ever used Anchor? Want to start a podcast with a friend? What about listening to, and it's like, okay, well, then I don't want to listen to the Anchor podcast. I mean, just for people at home, like, we literally use Anchor. So I'm not going to listen to an ad to use something that I'm already using. Uh, <laughs> so just just skip ahead. You're fine. I don't, I'll never know. You'll never know. Unless you tell us, which you're more than welcome so. to. Three three things that that just made me think of. One, talking about the ad within the ad. When I went to see uh, Spider Man No Way Home, there yeah. was literally an ad for Spider Man No Way Home in the theater to see Spider Man. Oh, gosh, <laughs> I was like, I'm. You already have me. I'm Why already are you hooked. enjoying me a trailer for the movie I'm in the theater for? Like, I, I'm clearly into it. Like, I don't understand. Uh, two, uh, we should probably also. Jump on the advertising anchor thing. It's literally free money we're leaving on the table. Yeah, we probably three uh, podcast addict, um, which is the app I use. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually have something where you can set it so like for each individual podcast where it starts. So when they start with like ads and stuff, I just set it like okay, you're gonna start the podcast two minutes in. Just don't even have to fast forward. Just you're gonna start when it's relevant. Yeah, not a bad idea. <laughs> That's funny. All right, yeah, let's let's talk about the magic. And uh, I guess before we do that, we'll have our first sponsored break. Uh, if, <laughs> no, I'm um, but no, seriously, though, if, the, if there is somebody out there listening who really does want to sponsor our show, obviously, feel free to reach out. Uh, Depth underscore podcast on Twitter. One of us will respond to you within some reasonable amount of time, hopefully. Um, but I promise to make it worth it. Yeah, I I don't know if you'll get, you know, your return of investment, but I will guarantee it is a good ad read. For, for the for the first, like, multi-episode sponsor, I, I promise you top quality. Past that, it's going downhill. Oh, I don't yeah. care about the second person as much. I still love them, just not to the same extent. The So, like, one of the, one of the podcasts I do, like, listen to is uh, Critical Role, and they've had this, like, long running arc with uh nord vpn where like it started out kind of like like oh little bits little funny things and then it, it's got like weirder and weirder and weirder and like they have like celebrity guests comes on for like certain parts of it and i'm just like what has happened to this like what does Vort- uh, nord vpn even do again oh right okay cool um so i don't know i'm more than willing to do some weird uh science fiction narrative 
uh, for any multi-episode multi, uh, <laughs> sponsors. So, you know, if, you know, NRG wants to do something, let us know. Or if, uh, I was going to say another company, but maybe not them right now. They're kind of taking heat. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> let's just pretend um, that things are perfect and that we are going to talk about Legacy. Um, we did have the Legacy Showcase Challenge this last week. And, you know, a couple good friends of ours actually made top eight. So, you know, congrats to uh, Twinless Twin, Thrall90, Mogged, uh, Nathan Stewart, uh, Kellen Master P, uh, Kellen Pastor, who was on a previous episode, I think episode 50. Um, we got Delai, we got uh, Kadrin, um, who's a notable elf, or elf master, notable goblin master, and also Daniel Nunez. So, congrats on the top eight. Um, Top eight is, I'm, I'm going to say both very, I'm not surprised by one thing, and I'm very shocked by a few other things here. Um, thing I'm not surprised by at all, um, is it Delver, Blue Red Delver was the most popular deck in the event, right? Um, eight people um, decided to play the event out of 32, um, but also three of the decks, of the Blue Red Delver decks, actually made top eight here, um, Thrall90, Mogged, and Nathan Stewart. Uh, but we also saw five other decks that made the top eight here, um, where, I mean, the the one, I, I guess, is not super shocking, right? But definitely a little different than I'm used to. But you do have some, the decks in fifth through eighth, I'm just, like, very shocked about. Uh, do you want to talk about, so, like, work our way down? Sure, but I, I want to clarify there were not 32 people that played this event. There was like a hundred and something. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah. We only see the top 32. I sure. assume Delver was still the most popular. We did certainly check, but mm -hmm. pretty sure it's still true. Yeah, I, I, we had to check that with uh, Jodiah's numbers. Uh, yeah, thank you. it's worth noting that the third place, uh, quote, or the second place, rather, supposedly Delver deck is not actually Delver. Oh, what is it? I mean, it's like the Delver shell. There's just no Delvers in it. Or not the second place, the third place, I think. All right. Is that the... Um, let, me, let me check this um, now. Yeah, not playing Delver. It's playing this. Oh, gosh. Okay. So yeah. that's that's a whole other thing to talk about. So His list is cool. It I, is uh, cool. I really, I really like it. Um, I don't know if that's just because I really like cute things or if it's actually good. I, I'm certainly interested in, in some good thought process. Yeah. Let's let's work our way down here. Um, let's start with Twin List Twin uh, playing this Just Guy Control List. I like what's what's happening here. Um, it it is a very familiar Hull Breacher days on doing deck, right? You you've got your Hull Breachers, you've got your your uh, Narsets, you got your Teferis. Um, there is one copy of Timeless Dragon, one copy of Wandering Emperor, which I'm a big fan of, um, and. You know, two copies of Supreme Verdict main deck, but I mean, the deck is not super shocking past that. I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I, I still don't think these decks are very good. Uh, Max is good, so you know, like, I think the deck is like fine. So mm -hmm. you put the hands like you put a fine deck in the hands of a good player who is very comfortable with that archetype, and you know, sometimes these things happen. And you know, maybe I'm just not high enough on the deck, but I I'm still just not convinced these decks are good. I feel like it's a deck that if you are expecting a lot of blue red, it ends up being pretty decent. But it, I don't think it's. I feel like it's not as good versus the field as it 
needs to be. But I, I do think Timeless Dragon and Wandering Emperor are just really, really great cards against the blue-red deck and puts you in a good spot. And obviously having Supreme Verdict is some kind of uncounterable kill spell for an opposing, you know, Murktide region, I think, is, is huge. So I, I definitely get the appeal there. Yeah, I just... I get it in theory, but in practice, like, when I've played this deck, it hasn't felt good against Delver. When I've played Delver, uh, I have felt good against this deck. And, like, people have to be winning the matchup because I hear it's favorable, but mm. I don't know. Whenever I happen to watch, like, Wafo stream, um, and I, I have not had the chance to watch him play nearly as much Legacy as I should because he is actually, a, like, top-tier streamer. Mm. Um, but, like, I was watching him play Control and just, like, getting clowned by Delver, and I was like, yep, this is, like, kind of what I see elsewhere, too, but, like, you know, he would put down the deck if it didn't beat Delver, so... Yeah, Very I, confused. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a deck, I think, that can have really rough draws, you know, especially from the Delver side, right? Like, you have four Pyroblast effects post-board, and, you know, you trying to depend on some kind of uh, hole breacher to fairy line. If that lines up really poorly against, you know, a couple of pyroblasts, then that's really awkward, or you have to walk into a daze, it's really awkward. But, you know, when you do get to, you know, line up your uh, Source to Plowshares with your Snapcaster Mages, or those um, Prismatic Endings actually do what they're supposed to do in the matchup, it's really hard to beat for from the Delver side. Yeah, I mean. I get it, but, like, I also don't get it at the same time. Yeah. I will say, Timeless Dragon has, like, been super impressive to me. Yeah, it, it's definitely one of those cards that has very quickly jumped up my, my power ratings, because the card is not, on on the front at least, I don't think the card's really good, and then you play against it, you're like, oh, I just can't kill this thing. Just uh, And the fact, you know, you get a plane cycle it and actually get a land, um, it, it just ends up being a lot more powerful than I think it it presents as. I, I don't really know, even though it's the better way to say it. Um, like, even the fact you get the plane cycle and just get Tundra, I think it's, like, huge. Like, I I don't know. It, it's really good. Alright, well, let's talk about these Delver decks now, or, you know, blue-red, I, I guess you would just call them Dragonry Channeler decks. Um, starting off with this list, um, like you kind of mentioned, the list from um, Thrall90 and Nathan Stewart are more... I mean, they're they're more traditional, right? We're talking about um, Delver Secrets, Dragon Reach Channeler, Murktide. Uh, Thrall90 is playing a couple copies of Brazen Bar, which I, you know, I'm, I think I'm playing one right now. Um, Nathan's playing a couple more copies of Mishra's Bauble, but, you know, we're still talking about the same... You know, two pyroblast, four expressive iteration deck, right? So, not interesting. The end. Yeah. Uh, the only the thing. The pyromancer in the sideboard of one is like the most interesting thing, but mm. uh, I do like that kind of as a pyroblast duke, but it's not the most interesting. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at too. I think it's it's not bad though. I mean, like as far as when you're bringing it in. I guess it's it's fine. It's not it's not insane. And like one thing, I think these threats are so so good in this deck that like it's hard for me to be really excited about Young Pyromancer. 
but it is nice to have a, a threat that doesn't care about your graveyard at all. So I'm happy with that, but I don't know. I think not caring about graveyard and not being pyroblasted are both like pretty big, especially because you, you consider post board a lot of people are cutting their force wills against you. So mm-hmm. then you just have this threat that, you know, yes, it's still fairly answerable, but it is harder and it leaves value on the table. You know, if you're playing against a bunch of one, uh, like one for one removal, it leaves a body behind. And yeah, just having a one one or like two one ones isn't, you know, game breaking, but it's still something. So I like it. Yeah. Um, but it's not new. You know, it's still just like kind of old tech. Mm hmm. Yeah, the, how do you feel about the counterbalance? Nathan Stewart has one of those in his sideboard. I know that's been something him and his crew have been kind of championing the last couple weeks. Counterbalance is messed up in the mirror. <laughs> Very true. I would agree. Uh, is that something you would bring in in, like, versus, like, the combo decks, too? Like, is that you bringing in that versus, like, Storm? It's pretty messed up there, too, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely one of those cards. I I think it's I think it's pretty good. Uh, I don't. It, it's one of those cards that I feel like if you could slam it on turn two, like the game gets really hard for your opponent. But I also feel like it's probably correct to actually play it on like turn three or turn four, where you can actually protect it a little bit more effectively with um, with counter magic or you know even like protecting it with like a brainstorm. So like you know if you if it does resolve, um, you can pyroblast or you can. Um, you know, brainstorm to put something on top so you can actually make sure you do counter it. Uh, maybe you, you know, wait till you have you know, days back up or something, or you have, I guess you wouldn't have Force of Will for Storm. Well, you'd have it for Storm, but you would have, wouldn't have it in the mirror. So, yeah, it's interesting. Um, so, the one you thought was cute was uh, Mog's List. Uh, Mog, who ended up in, you know, third place according to this metric. Um, four copies of Dragon Rage Channeler. Four copies of Merktide Regent. One copy of Brazen Borrower. One copy of Mist Hollow Griffin. And no copies of Delver. So... Yeah. I like this. Uh, so, Mogged posted on um, Twitter that like, he's actually been working on this list for a while. He just feels like, uh, I think he said ever since Modern Horizons 2, but just with the printing of Expresso Iteration and being able to pair that with Mystic Sanctuary, he just said that the deck is able to grind so well. Um, you know, it's not really a secret that a lot of people would consider Delver now to be more of a mid-range deck than a tempo deck like it has historically been viewed. Mm-hmm. So by cutting Delvers, he's really letting himself lean into that uh, aspect of being able to go slightly bigger. Something that I really like is he's going up on Force Negations. Uh, I think Combo has been in a good spot because while Delver historically preys on Combo, it hasn't been built lately to be as strong in that matchup as it used to be. Um, And so without having the Delvers, he now has rooms for Force Negation, which is super helpful against, like, you know, Storm and other things like that. and so to pair with the six force of negation or force of will effects, now he gets to play Mist Hollow Griffin. Uh, that card's sweet. Mm-hmm. First of all, card's really sweet. Uh, second, it's like one of the best blockers for Delver because it's just a three three that you can then get value off of. Um, you know, flipping it into your yard with Dragon's Rage Channeler, and then later um, 
exiling it to delve with Merktide Regent. Like, that's really sweet. Just being able to, like, let it hit your graveyard, get rid of it. Again, I don't know how good it is, but it's definitely, it's definitely a cool effect. And then, same thing, um, if people have something like Rest in Peace or Leyline of the Void against you, you have this threat that just keeps coming back if it gets countered. Uh, and, you know, Grave Hate is one of the easier ways to hate on this deck. So having something that gets around that, like you kind of alluded to earlier with Young Pyromancer, I think is pretty big. Yeah, and like, yeah, the fact that, and like, I, I really do like the idea you can, you know, delve it from Regent, like... You can obviously pitch it because you are playing the Fourth of Negation, so you can pitch it to Fourth of Negation or Fourth of Will. Um, you can also expressive iteration a little bit more aggressively because if you hit the Miss Holographic, you just put it in exile and cast it later. So that's actually really cool. Um, and then you also are playing, you know, in the sideboard, they're playing one copy of Grim Lava Mancer too. So it's another way that if it is in your graveyard, you can exile it um, and get a little bit more effect from it later. Like it's it's a really cool synergy. Uh, I don't know if it's something you should try to play a little bit more into or maybe just maybe one is the number right but i can't so, imagine you want to play too many of them no like definitely not the full four but i feel like i feel like two doesn't hurt uh, like i think if you're playing six force effects like i think it's reasonable to to have a second one but I, I maybe one is the correct number i mean like once again if mom has been testing this for a couple of months i, I wouldn't be shocked if this is if one is the correct number, but I, I'm, I would think intuitively that two would be a little bit better just so you can see one in, in the majority of games. Mog is a player I have a lot of respect for. So I, I do kind of agree if, if he's come to the conclusion one is correct, you know, it's not a guarantee, but he probably knows what's up. So let's see what else um, our friend Kellen um, playing red. And once again, I, Kellen Pastor is not a person I think takes red decks. It's not a red aficionado, not a person I would imagine always plays the red deck. Um, normally is playing death and taxes and decided this is the place to be. And I, I actually really like this deck. I think this is something that um, our, you know, XJ Cloud was, um, talking about and really hyping up over the past couple weeks, um, really kind of capitalizing on the strength of Unlicensed Hearth, which has r really been impressive in my opinion. I, I would just like to say, I think this deck is very clearly up Kellen's alley. Hmm. Um, he has played prison decks before, and I think he is a big fan of the card chalice of the void. And he does like more aggressive strategy, so I it's not super surprising to see him on something like this. Okay. Um, so for people at home who haven't seen Unlicensed Hearth, by the way, um, it is a uh, two-mana artifact from uh, Nuka Penna. Tap. Oh, it's a vehicle. Uh, tap, exile, up to two target cards from a single graveyard. Uh, Unlicensed Hearth's power and toughness are each equal to the number of cards exiled with it and has a crew cost of two. So crew two. Um lot of there's a lot of really interesting interactions in this deck um just because of the fact one i guess you can just always exile something like never a bad thing um one of the things i saw that was really neat is that you know you can use something like fury um and you know i can't think of the right word uh evoke it there we are uh 
and while it's still in play, you can use that to crew your um, your hearth, which I think is really cool. You know, without actually having to invest any extra mana or to you know take off a goblin rabble master or legion war boss, you can just use you know essentially two cards from your hand while killing some of the blockers. Um, use that to get some extra value out of out of the uh, fury. Like that's I think a really cool little interaction there. Uh, Fable the Mirror Breaker card we've been seeing a ton of in Standard, a ton of in Pioneer, uh, has a really good effect, I think, in this deck, just being able to help you filter a little bit. Um, also, that Goblin, you know, being able to create treasure tokens means you get to hopefully sustain some, some value going into the late game. Like, this deck seems pretty legit. I mean, Kellen went 8-0 in, in the Showcase Challenge with this thing. Yeah. And uh, like you said, XJ's been pretty high on this deck for about a week or so now. Mm. Um, and, you know, he's played these style of decks before, but he, he doesn't play them just because he likes them. Like, he plays them for a reason. He thinks they're good. Um, there's a lot of interesting innovation here. Like, the Unlicensed Hearse is, like, pretty good against Stealther, right? People have played it in their sideboards kind of as a response to that deck. Um, you know, it doesn't have a huge pedigree because the card is new, mm-hmm. but I, I kind of like that. Like, you, you're just seeing these new powerful cards kind of breathe life into this archetype, and I'm, I'm very interested to see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Unlicensed Hearst, you know, feels this really weird niche where, like, it is something that can obviously keep somebody else's graveyard in check, right? But if you are playing something like, you know, I'm going to, once again, I've been playing a lot of blue-red, right? So blue-red Murktide in modern, right? This is something that you can use to keep somebody else's, you know, Dragon Reach Channelers in check, make sure they don't have a graveyard for, you know, their Murktides. Um, but you can also target yourself and, you know, exile cards to make your Murktides bigger, which is really impressive, like, in the middle of combat. Um, it's a colorless answer that, you know, it's going to hit two cards every turn turn so it's kind of like a um was it a relic of progenitus um that can go in any deck that is really good versus you know your your dredges and your living ends and things like that uh, but also if you are a deck that cares about the graveyard it's a way for you to interact with opposing graveyards while also making sure that if your opponent does have like a, a ley line of the void or something like that you can still exile your opponent's graveyard and use your Dragon Reach Channelers um, as things to potentially crew this thing and, you know, still be able to kind of, quote-unquote, act as a larger creature, you know, whether it's a 6-6 six, six after exiling, you know, six cards from your opponent's graveyard. Like, there's a lot of really cool interactions that you get with Unlicensed Hurt. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to see where this goes, how popular it ends up being. Yeah. I um, played against it for the first time yesterday? Or, mm-hmm. I don't think it was yesterday, but you know, recently, uh, it was probably in the showcase challenge actually. And gotta say, this card is annoying when you're playing Night of the Reliquary. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It seems really annoying. I mean, like between, between that and, well, I guess for the same reason, right? You playing your Elvis Reclaimers, like that's a really annoying thing to get, to get, um, constantly shrunk every turn. Um, yeah, I was supposed to have the biggest creature and then (laughs) all of a sudden, all of a sudden, mm-hmm. I did not. 
Yeah, and like this card, especially like on on defense, is actually really surprising too, just because it you know ends up being a relatively decent sized blocker pretty quickly. Uh, but then you can also block and then exile more stuff and make it larger. Uh, it makes it hard to account for. So yeah, it's a very cool card. Um, the the one thing I think that's really neat about this deck too is if you end up in a situation where you don't really want to attack with your Goblin Rabble Master or your Legion War Boss, right? Because uh, you know, I mean, you don't have to, right? But Goblin Rabble Master um, makes other creatures attack each turn. Like maybe you decide that this is a bad turn. Like I don't want to attack into their lifelink creature. You can just use that to corrupt the um, hearse. You, you know, you don't have to attack with the hearse. You can just crew it for you know no attack. Um, but that way you don't have to you know send creatures in, and hopefully down the road you end up with a profitable attack with your your one one goblin tokens. Um, same thing happens with Legion Warboss, right? It produces these goblins each time, but you don't necessarily have to attack with them if you can crew them instead. Um, the other one I like, too, um, you know, talking about cards that came out relatively recently, um, the Den of the Bugbear, which is another card that has been just insanely popular in Pioneer and then, and then Standard, like... This is another deck. I think that's a really good way to use your mana. Obviously, does not have the best synergy with Magus of the Moon, but um, it it's a really really good card. Um, good way to use your mana instead of using something like Mutavault, for example. This morning, uh, when I was streaming with Dukes, we uh, we got to unlock the achievement and uh, attack with the Den of the Bugbear. Ooh, so I guess you. We staged Copy. their their den, yeah. Okay, that's cool. It was really good. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty sweet. Um, not sure if you agree that this is sweet. Um, little little cephalid breakfast. Uh, yeah. I mean, it is. It's you got the, your nomads and core. You've got your cephalid illusionist. Uh, we got it in a sixty card shell with your or eighty card shell with Urian. Um. This is, once again, definitely a, a deck I feel like is not super popular, I'll say it politely, but it, you know, tied together with Recruit of the Guard, you could, I guess the deck can obviously do something, right? Um, you do have a lot of combos, if you haven't seen Cephalid Breakfast in a while, by the way, um, the deck is relatively straightforward to explain, at least, um, at this point. You are playing, uh, hoping to get Nomad and Core in play with Cephalid Illusionist. Um, you use Cephalid in, or Nomad and Core's ability, zero mana, to target uh, Cephalid Illusionist. Each time that you do, you're going to mill a top three cards of your library. Um, you will have some number of creatures already in play, but you also have three copies of Narcomoeba. Uh, you will mill your Dread, dread Return. Um, you can sacrifice your tokens, uh, your tokens, your Narcomoebas. And then we're in turn to play a Thassa's Oracle, uh, which, you know, with no cards in your library, will allow you to win the game. So, um, you, that may seem fragile at times, but you do have a decent, you know, kind of robust creature package in terms of things like uh, Palace Jailer, and you have Skycliff Apparition, obviously you do have uh, Stoneforge Mystic in the deck as well, uh, which you can go to find uh, Shuko, another way to combo off with the Zephyr of Illusionist. You'll see the batter skull too, which is never never a bad thing. Uh, but you are playing copies of, you know, brainstorm ponder, so you do have a little bit of redundancy there. You have a copy of unearth, um, so you can reanimate things if you need to. Like you definitely have ways to be competitive with this deck. 
Um, and obviously, you got the lie, who was a great player, right? Um, to a top eight, so. Uh, I, I am surprised to see this deck. It, it's just not a deck that pops up uh, on my radar particularly often. Yeah, I mean, it's not a super played deck. Um, I will say it's kind of interesting to see him not play any copies of Aether, or not Aether Vile, um, not play any copies of Urza Saga. That's definitely something I've seen in this list before. I know they're not super artifact heavy, but just because it is an additional way to find Shuko, um, and they do have some artifacts with like Aether Vile and Batter Skull. So I, I've seen some people lean into that package. I, I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's not good. Um, just kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some cards that I, I'm surprised to see. And like, I'm not sure, once again, I'm not sure how common they are, right? But like having Lavinia in the sideboard, I think is, is really cool. Um, you know, especially because we are seeing a lot more copies of Storm and things like that in the format. You know, having Lavinia in play means that you're not going to be casting that ad nauseum. Uh, you're not going to be casting that peer through, <laughs> uh, peer through depth or that, um, you know, lion's eye diamond things like that. Like it's a really good um, answer for that deck. Uh, but also having things like Serenity, I think, are, are really good. Um, the the one copy of Soul Hoarder and the one copy of Plague Engineer, I think, are really interesting uh, tutor targets. And once again, having one copy with Recruit of the Guard really means you have you know four copies in the deck. So I am. I'm definitely interested by this deck. I, once again, I'm not sure if it's something I would play. Maybe, maybe it's something I will uh, borrow from Mana Traders. But it's uh, I, I, this is one of those decks that I feel like looks a lot more challenging to play than it actually probably is, and I, I should at least give it a chance to see see how the games play out. I've played it before. The deck's pretty fun. It's pretty sweet. I. I'm a big fan of playing with Stoneforge Mystic. I think you know that. Mm -hmm. um, also, I just have to say, it, it always makes me smile to see uh, Javier playing with this deck. Just because, like, you know, he's been on this deck forever. He's got good results with it. And it just feels like every so often he comes back and it's like, what's good in Legacy? And it's like, we're at Delver and he's like, can I play Cephalid Breakfast? It's like, well, you can. You can also <laughs> just play Blue Red Delver and he's like, I'm just going to play Cephalid Breakfast. Oh, I top it. Look at that. <laughs> okay, Javier, you do whatever you want. Yeah, good to be good. Yeah. Uh, talking about people who play whatever they want, uh, how about our good friend Eli playing Goblins? Yeah, I mean, this is... Also on Unlicensed Hearse in the main. Yeah, uh, and, and Fable of the Mirror Breaker as well, like... I mean, as far as the Goblin package is concerned, right, there's nothing super shocking here. It's two copies of Muxus and, you know, a couple of Ringleaders, a Palakamon, obviously four Lackeys, right? It's a pretty standard list in in the Goblin department as far as I can tell. But I, I really do like the addition of the Unlicensed Horse and the Fable, uh, Fable the Mirror Breaker here. Just to, I, I think the Hearth is a really good way for the deck to, you know, keep those flyers from Blue-Red in check, um, while also... Getting it, having a really big way to punch through some decks that uh, may otherwise brick wall you. Yeah, I would definitely be curious to hear how he felt the unlicensed hearse was. I I assume it was good for him, but I would just love to to actually hear his thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely seems like it would be. I mean, I think when you're playing all these one toughness creatures, like 
it has to be at least something that's that's decent. Like there's just a lot of situations where I think you don't want to attack with your your lackey or your munitions expert later. So you know having you have plenty of things lying around that you want to crew. Uh, and you know that also does encourage you not to throw them in, so you can you know save them later for when you do get that uh you know the mons out or the sling gang lieutenant. Like you can actually just have more reason to keep them around a little bit longer. Uh, also, I did, didn't quite realize, and we, we actually had this discussion before, right? Like, the split on Fury versus Pyrokinesis. Like, obviously, Fury costs five mana as opposed to uh, Pyrokinesis is six. Um, but they both have the same cost. Like, what do you play? And, you know, we, we see Eli playing one Fury and two Pyrokinesis, which, you know, I guess the instant speed really does matter a little bit more than uh, the ability to have a creature stick around. Yeah. Um, I am also interested. Um, I, I like the one copy of the Sudden Edict in the sideboard. I think that's um, good. Obviously, um, I'm taking that as a nod towards you know depth uh, mostly, but um, I think it's good versus depth. Obviously, good versus uh, situations if you can set them up at least where you can edict away a uh, germ token. You know that have a cauldre complete on it, for example. Um, I think that's really neat. Um, I do like the one opposition agent in the sideboard. I feel like I wouldn't expect that coming out of goblins. So I think that's a. I think a lot of people might have gotten got, might have gotten got by that. I um, think people should just not play sideboard cards for adapts. It's just not needed. Noted. I will take no both the merchants right out of my sideboards. No sudden edicts. Just you just don't need those things. Yeah. Yeah. Who's trying to clip wings? I'm not. Yeah, you you don't need that. No. Get that out of here. We got a we got a hit by opposition agent on the stream today. Ooh. It was brutal, brutal. Uh, we sacked a flagstone to crop rotation, and they flashed an opposition agent. Oh no! Yeah, that's the that's worst. That's <laughs> a blowout. Is what that is. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, talking about a deck that tends to lead to blowouts, um, eighth place we got uh, Daniel Nunez uh, playing Slivers, which is like, I don't know what, I feel like his account, like, he just opens, like, packs of Nuka Pena and just, like, four Slivers. Like, I feel like nothing but Slivers on his account. Um, and Aether Vial, of course, naturally. Um, but we actually do see Unlicensed Hearse in this deck as well, which is, I mean, the card apparently just everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it's a good card. I um, almost wonder if I'm supposed to try it. I don't I don't know that I am, but I'm probably going to do it anyways. Yeah. Well, worst case scenario, it's not great. Try it. Try something else. I have the play points to burn, so it's like kind of whatever, you know? Yeah. I'd rather I'd rather test it out and know for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think so. Um, once again, the, the slivers, if you haven't seen this deck, it's... It is just a bunch of lord effects. Um, you know, predatory sliver and sinew sliver make your things uh, larger. I guess that and muscle sliver as well. Um, crystalline sliver is the most annoying sliver of all time by giving all sliver shroud. Um, you can give them all first strike or you can give them all plus one, plus one, uh, sorry, all flying in haste. Um, it's, it is a, it is a deck. Um, 
very aggressive. It, it, it's basically, in my mind, like playing Merfolk with absolutely no interaction. Just a bunch of lords. So they have played Force of Will before. I, I know he's not playing it mm-hmm. in his current configuration, but they do have the ability to play enough blue cards to play Force of Will. Yeah, I mean, that's not surprising. I mean, right now they're playing um, the four Gale Rider Slivers, the four Crystalline Slivers, and three Hibernation Slivers. Um, I, I've seen it with the... Um, what was it? Mariner? I can't remember what the first name of that card is. Unsettled Mariner. Unsettled Mariner. So I've seen that before, and I guess that, that alone would get you up to 16 if you maxed out on those. So it's, it's definitely not hard enough to do it. Um, I, I think that would be... Not necessary, obviously. Like, I think we see Daniel playing Mindbreak Trap for the Storm matchups instead, which I think is interesting. Um, you do have free interaction in terms of things like Leyline of the Void push board. Uh, Harmonic Sliver does a really good job of in, um, allowing you to interact with decks that, you know, care about instant or care about uh, artifacts and enchantments. Um, and, you know, this does open up the door for you to have some more. I don't say interesting interaction, but like, you know, it's something like Jalf the Void is actually pretty decent here. Uh, Null Rod is kind of awkward in your unlicensed Hearth Aethervile deck, but like, I think Aethervile is good enough where I'll play it with Null Rod anyways. Um, the Maze of It feels like it could be something else, but I, I'm, I'm very likely wrong. Like, I guess that's an easy way to try to deal with Merit Lage, so. I don't know. Hey, it looks interesting. Definitely a, a deck if you're into. Tribal decks, definitely something to try out at least. Can we talk about how much yeah. I hate Crystalline Sliver though? Like, <laughs> gosh, that card. Probably not as much as me. No, yeah, I don't think so. I think, yeah, the the one that I think I I lead the charge on is Cloud Shredder Sliver. I've died to that card at like two or three likes so often where they just like, oh, here's a plated Sliver and a um, Cloud Shredder Sliver. You die to two damage in the air. I'm like, oh, they have haste. <sighs> they have haste. Okay. Like, oh, gosh, I need that card. Um, so, jeez. Um, I also have never actually seen uh, Sliverheim ever activated to make uh, a 1-1. One, one. Like, I know theoretically it can happen, but I've never seen it happen before. I've seen it happen. Is it? Is it I've seen it happen in Modern. I've think I've seen it happen in Legacy, and I've definitely seen it happen in EDH. Okay. I just, like... I just don't even know what that game looks like, where they're just, like, activating Silverhive and you're and you're losing. Like, I feel like if you if they're activating Silverhive, the game's, like, way over, and they're just, like, trying to put the, the final touches on you. But, um, still, I mean, congrats to all the people who made top eight. I mean, there are a couple interesting decks outside of that. I mean, a lot of really solid players in the top 32, at least. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to see the decks that we see in this event. Obviously, the, the volume of Delvers, you know, not the greatest thing to see in terms of, you know, wanting to show this to other people like you know people who have a little bit little limited idea of what the format actually is about but you know i think seeing the, the stompy deck i think seeing the uh, cephalid breakfast seeing goblins seeing slivers um i think that's cool to see in a top eight like this yeah and honestly i 
like having three copies of Delver in the top eight isn't the worst. Like, there's always going to be a quote unquote best deck, right? So, I think it, if it's only three copies, that's not the end of the world. Yeah, you'd probably rather like two, but it could also be five. Yeah, yeah, true. And honestly, the one deck that like you mentioned is is wildly different. I think being able to play, you know, be more combo. Um, focused on the combo decks, but playing the Force Negations and playing the one Mist Hollow Griffin, I think that is a really cool way to to approach the deck right now. So I'm excited that that at least was one of the decks that did you know particularly well. So you know I, it is something hopefully that people can look at and kind of get excited about, even if it is a little repetitive. Also, there were two copies of Cephalid <laughs> Breakfast in the top sixteen, so like. How much can you really complain? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, once again, I think really cool. I mean, it's a, it just kind of shows that there's a lot of room for people to play things that aren't blue-red. And, you know, whether they do it or not, it's really up to them, right? But, you know, if you you don't have to play blue-red to be successful. You you can play Zephyr Breakfast. You can play, um, you know, Oops All Spells, which, you know, the... A deck our friend uh, Rodney was crushing online with a little bit, and you know, Nick Fox here ended up getting top sixteen with. Like, I'm a big fan of that deck. Deck super powerful. Um, I think the we're gonna see more people hopefully picking up different strategies here. And I the the one thing I'm, I'm actually kind of not surprised about, but I thought was gonna do better was gonna be a Dalton Tendril. I thought I thought the deck was in a a pretty good spot, but I, I could have, I guess, just been the uptick of Delver decks, uh, making sure that deck was not going to win <laughs> another another big event. Yeah, again, I still just think if you are a good Ant player, you're favored against Delver. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how many people picked it up, but I do think other people saw the rise in it and kind of probably were playing more sideboard hate pieces. Like, Looking through the sideboards, I saw like a couple no rounds here and there, and it's you know that's not a card you would have seen two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I don't know if that's true because of eight cast, but you know I I think I have seen an increase in storm hate. Yeah, I think and I think that's a good place to be. I mean, I think it's a little easier to stop them with something like null rod um, than it is to stop them with something like flusterstorm, which is going to get discarded one way or the other um and having that permanent base removal there i think is actually a pretty solid idea not it's not always the right answer right but i think discard obviously does have its its spots all right um do you want to talk about our second topic uh sure i mean we're already starting to go along so we'll keep it uh i think brief but yeah cool all right uh do you want to lead in or do you want me to lead in Okay, so <laughs> last night I was, um, you know, at AU, my local store, playing Modern, and I was playing Living End, which is not the most exciting deck I've ever played, but uh, it was very powerful, as a certain co-host has promised. Um, and I played against a friend of ours, well, actually you don't know him, but I played against a friend of mine in round three not that it really matters what round or two actually and they were on Yawgmoth and post board they cast Thoughtseize 
And then they cast another Thoughtseize, and then a couple turns later, they died. And, you know, I will say they were pretty close to beating me, but I just felt like the Thoughtseizes weren't very good. So afterwards, I kind of asked about them, and we talked, and we kind of couldn't quite come to see eye to eye. And then the next round, I played against, like, John Shadow. And, you know, obviously that's a Thoughtseize deck, and they Thoughtseize. I, well, I think they inquisitioned me game one, and then they died. And then in the second game, they, like, thought seized me once or twice, and then they died. And I had a repeat of the same conversation. Um, you know, I, I don't think the discard is particularly good. It's like, I understand leaving Thoughtseize in because you're a Death Shadow deck and you need to lose life. So I get it from that respect. But it just didn't feel like discarded was a good approach like when they cast those cards i was kind of happy um so then i was you know i don't actually really play living in so i was like maybe i don't know what i'm talking about i'm kind of curious what people think and instead of going to an expert which is what a reasonable human being would have done mm -hmm. i did what i typically do instead which is go to twitter <laughs> and so as of this moment i have a poll up that is in in general, is this card good versus living end? I didn't give any kind of specifics. And right now, it's sitting at 200 votes, and it's perfectly 50-50. Which is, like, amazing, just in terms of... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, That's fascinating just, to me. It is, yeah. I mean, there's just a lot of... It, but there's a lot of context, and we kind of talked about this last week, two weeks ago. Um, living end is so good at dealing with interaction it's good with dealing with your graph ticker cages and your um resting pieces it's really good with dealing with the ley line of the void it's really good with dealing with endurance like it's just it's just a really good deck at fighting against interaction which is something that you can't do so much with like dredge i was playing dredge uh, a couple weeks ago and I, I just shelved the deck because when you do run into interaction you know it's your cards really don't have agency, you know, something like, uh, I'm trying to think of something reasonable, um, something like Narcomiba is not impressive when you have to deal with uh, Grafter's Cage, you have to dig until you find um, your, uh, you know, answer to um, your nature's claim or your whatever, right? And I feel like the deck that you are living in, you have so many ways to interact with stuff that, like, you have to be multifaceted. Discard, I think, is a is one way to interact with the deck, but like, depending on what deck you are, it's like either not great or just doesn't do enough. I feel like. Okay, so you kind of gave a half answer there. Mm -hmm. So if I was just asking you this question, no deeper context, is discard good versus living it? Yes or no? If if we're being black and white, I'm. I'm going to say no, but I do think it can be good. But I think if you, if my strategy is just to bring in four thought pieces and two duresses, I'm, I'm going to say no. So I think a lot of people are of the opinion, just combo deck, mm -hmm. discard is good versus combo decks. Not always. Which, I mean... It's pretty simple logic, and I follow it, and I, I get where they're coming from. I, I'm just, you know, trying to portray, like, I understand where people are coming from, right? The deck relies on 
eight cards, uh, the four violent outbursts and the four shard of the sage, and it really has this game plan of, hey, we're going to resolve one of these, then we're going to win. Mm-hmm. So, like, it makes sense that this card would be good against a deck that has, you know, essentially eight win conditions. But I really just, like, don't think that's how it plays out. Uh, the big thing to me is, you know, you always hear that phrase, you can't discard the top of their deck, like, you can't hot seize the, uh, the draw step. Mm-hmm. And I think people use that too often, but I think that's incredibly relevant here. The deck is literally just designed to cycle through cards. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it's number one. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> the number one goal, right? Is to cycle. Like, cycle, 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 find this card, cast it. Yeah. So when people are, like, thought-seizing you early on, you just, like, don't care about your cards. You want them to go to the graveyard. It's like, yes, if you happen to have the Violent Outburst in hand and they thought-seize it... That's kind of unfortunate, but mm. your whole deck just like furiously digs through cards. Yeah. Um, so you're going to replace that card so often, and you could be like, oh, well, they might not find it. It's like, that's true, but like, and also having, I guess, less cyclers does increase the chances of them whiffing, I guess, essentially. Sure. Yeah. But I just think that's so low. Like, I didn't feel like that was ever a realistic plan to beat me. Again, I was happy because it felt like what was happening was people would play these discard spells and then they were taking a turn off of doing something that was actually relevant and attacking the board. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. you kind of need to put pressure on, and I know just putting pressure on isn't necessarily good enough because the deck goes off on turn three, uh, hopefully, but the deck doesn't always go off on turn three, which kind of argues against my whole discard being a good thing, but it's true, the deck doesn't always go off turn three, and I think you need to get that pressure on right away. Um, But I also just feel like you need hate cards that do more, and I think having that mediocre hate that is discard, you're just kind of hurting yourselves by having a less cohesive synergistic deck. Like, I would rather your deck just be as focused at doing what it can, or presenting a card that's actually going to stop it. Um, and yes, Living End has answers for those other cards too. Like if you play a Void Mirror, it's not necessarily going to be Lights Out, right? Living End plays Adawara. Um, they could have Force of Vigor in the sideboard. They could have, they could always hard cast. But if they're hard casting things, that's not good. It's not a good plan. Or like if you have Rest in Peace, like yes, again, they can deal with that and then go off. But like they have to find a way to deal with it. And I think the fact that you have to find a way to deal with it, and then you have to set up, and then you have to go off, like, cards like those buy you so much time, and I think those kind of cards are good. I just don't think discard is good. And you, I know a lot of people make the argument, like, okay, well, it's better than this card in my deck. And I just generally don't think that's true. I think people are very overwilling to sideboard. Like, they just look at cards and are like, nope, don't need this card, it's not the best in this matchup. It's like, yeah, it's not the best in the matchup, but like it's in your deck for a reason, so unless you're replacing it with something that's actually good in the matchup, like you're probably better off just leaving it in, unless it's actually just a complete blank, something like a Pirate Blast versus Green-White Taps. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some cards, um, like Lightning Bolt, once again, I've been playing a lot of Blue-Red Murktide the last uh, week. Um, Lightning Bolt something I I just always board out. I'm, just, I'm not interested um, then I'm cutting my Unholy Heat, because Unholy Heat might kill something. 
um, Lightning Bolt's not going to. Um, but it's not going to kill anything I care about, at least. Like, I don't really care about killing a Shardless Agent or an Architect of Will. Like, I'm really focused on making sure I don't die to Endurance and making sure I don't get bricked by, uh, you know, Waker of Waves. Like, I can kind of set that up sometimes. Um, so, the, the reason I like... I think Discard can be good, right? It's because the Discard ends up in this really weird spot where it is situationally really insane or not playable, right? There, and there's no in-between. Like you said, because of the volume that you're actually cycling with, there's a good chance you don't care about it. Um, you know, something like Duress, for example. Like, Duress hits Violent Outburst. It, and it can hit a Force Negation. That's great. But it doesn't hit the other Cascade card that I care about, Chardless Agent. Um, something like Inquisition of Kozilek is, you know, pretty good because it hits both... You know, hits Violent Outburst, hits Force Negation, it hits Charlotte Agent, hits Endurance even. Like, I, I'm happy with that. But there's also a lot of situations where they just don't have anything to hit. And you just play, like you said, you take a turn off from actually progressing your board to literally do nothing. Um, and, you know, honestly, even if they do make you discard your Endurance, like, is that really that bad of a thing? Like, am I really that upset that my Endurance got lost? Not really. Um... And, like, and even Thought Season, Thought Season is the one that I think that's, for me, has been the most awkward. I can Thought Season you, and once again, if I hit the Violent Outburst, if I hit the Shardless Agent, if I hit the Force Indication, I'm very happy. But if I, like, make you discard, like, Street Wraith, I feel like an idiot. Like, you know, if, if the situation where, like, I can make you discard Street Wraith, Grief, Curator of Mysteries, or Striped River Winder, like, I'm just going to be like, that was really really bad like i'm not happy about this at all um the other situations i found that really make that even more awkward um is one they do play endurance so they can just shuffle those cards back into their deck and get them again uh which doesn't quite do what you need uh and you know when you are looking at having discard as a as a way to you know stabilize the board or you know make sure that they don't combo you. Like, they also do have Colossal Sky Turtle, which they can channel and just get the card back to their hand. Like, they have, they literally have a regrowth that also advances their game plan. Like, it's, if you're going to do the discard plan, you need to have discard and as the kind of follow-up here. And I, I think a lot of people want to depend so much on the discard. Like you said, traditionally, Verse Combo Deck, it's really good, but it's not really great here if that's your only... Um, avenue like i think you need to have discard and exile effects you need to have discard and a really aggressive game plan uh you need to have discard and counter magic um i think that's doable like i i liked my games uh when i was playing shadow at least trying to figure figure out that um having the idea of i'm gonna go down to seven life by turn three uh, there's gonna be a couple thought seizes there's gonna be some inquisitions here and i'm gonna put a shadow and i'm gonna hold up um Drown in the Lock, and I'm going to hold up a uh, Counterspell post board, and you're going to have to get through both of these. And we'll see what happens uh, if you can get through two discard spells, two counter spells, and don't die to a Death Shadow in three turns. Best of luck. Like, that's the, that's the plan. I like that one. Uh, yeah, I, I'm okay with it out of Grixis Shadow. Mm-hmm. But I just it's very hard for most decks to present that same kind of clock and then also have the backup permission. Yeah, like I think the the one deck I think that has the ability to do it is that, uh, like the red black scam decks, um, the one you know playing your furies, your griefs, your um, 
uh, what's that card card called? The uh, the the cards that like get them back, like you know, this the card undying, undying evils. Undying evils, yes. Um, like I think that deck is in that vein where I can grief you twice on turn one, and that's probably going to do a lot. You know, even if you, if you combine that with something like ephemerate instead, um, you know, I'm going to make you discard three cards <laughs> before turn two, and if you can still kill me with you know, not with essentially a four-card hand, you probably deserved it at that point. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to still be able to, you know, beat down and, you know, put a Ragavan into play, um, or, you know, I have this grief now, I can apply pressure and I can kill you in four turns. So you have four turns to try to get your third land and also find this um, spell before I try to kill you with it. Like, I like that. Um, yeah, but again, that's different because you're like, actively progressing your board by playing the grief exactly uh, most decks when they play a discard spell are not progressing their board because that's literally just not what discard says um yeah. and I, I should clarify too like i understand if you thought sees a striped river winder that is better than the person like that is better yeah. for the thought sees player than if their opponent had just cycled the striped river winder mm. but it's still just on average worse than doing almost anything else i feel yeah, I, th I think I turn one Dragon Ridge Channeler or turn one Ragavan. Um, I I would I would say a turn one Mom probably isn't great, but like a turn one Relic, obviously I think it's a much better use of your one mana. Like there's a lot of better things you could be doing for one mana in this format against Living and against Dredge than Thought Thief. Um, and once again, just because this deck has so many ways to. Um, kind of reset the clock if it needs to, um, to, you know, bounce your cards. Once again, um, playing Ottawara, um, you know, some versions have been playing, you know, Brazen Borrower or something like that. Like, you are, are not really scared of one way to attack you. Um, and once again, I, I've been playing a lot of uh, Blue Red Murktide. Like, the ability to play Dragoran on turn one, hold up a counterspell or two, and make your opponent have to have it, I think it's such a powerful way to approach the matchup. Um, I think there are obviously some decks too, like, you know, um, one of the things you see out of Titan is that I'm going to search up a Pachuca Bog, I'm going to Bog you, I'm going to pick it up, I'm going to Bog you again, and we'll see if you can still um, combo me out from here. Um, I think that's a really good way to approach this matchup as well. Um, at the very least, it's, I think it's better than one dimensional. I think I think you need to have have a multi pronged attack here, um, and if you you want to choose counter magic, discard, um, aggression, um, you know taxing effects, like you can do whatever you want, but you have to do I think two of them because if you only focus on one, this deck can can overcome that. The deck was uh, really good, but I just. I thought it was really interesting that like players could come to such a comp I, I don't know how to describe it. Just that so many players could come to that different answer on just on this question on on any question like that. Honestly, like it makes me wonder, like how are people approaching matchups in general? Like are people just is it that this one issue is confusing or? Is it that players have completely different ways of approaching new matchups? I mean, I'm just curious about what it means. Yeah, I mean, I, once again, in its vague, I think I think it's actually a really great question because it does 
allow you to be open to interpretation. Um, but, you know, and I was, like, my viewpoint, I was kind of focusing it on, like, targeted dispel. But, like, you know, if you change this to, hey, is uh, Croxa and Liliana the Veil good versus Living End? Like, I think that does also elicit a different answer than um, is Inquisition, Thoughtseize, and Duress good versus Living End? Um, just because I think having targeted removal that is limited in some way, right, versus general discard. I mean, like, that's the thing, too. Like, if you just said, it's go blank, good versus li- four-color living end, it's like, yes, go blank is very obviously good. Why are you even asking this question? Um, also, probably a card that I, I still think is actually probably not played enough in modern. I don't know what the correct number for that card is, but I, I think that card could probably... No, I don't think that card needs to be played in modern. It is good against living end and probably nothing else. Uh, it's good versus dredge, good versus living end. Um, I guess Reanimator too. Yeah, Reanimator is good verse. I think I think that card could be playable. I think that's not horrendous. I think if we we obviously don't have a Night of the Reliquary deck right now, but like that would be good there too. But I don't know. I think that could be that card could be good. Um, and I think if you're playing uh, particular strategies like we saw, like the the mono black um, Cabal Coffers deck, like I think that's something that can afford to play um, a card like that. Um, but, you know, I, I think you could you could phrase that question a couple different ways and I think get similar responses um, first it. So I, I think it was a cool question. I do what, wonder what people think about, um, like, you know, like what is the best way to attack this deck, though? Yeah, if people have answers for that, I would love to hear them. I feel like it's Void Mirror, but also that card's, like, not great. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't know that it's Void Mirror. It's probably, like, Rest in Peace and Leyline. It just, it's very hard for this deck to beat those. Again, obviously it can. But I think having, like, Leyline or Rest in Peace backed up by any amount of clock is a pretty good recipe. Yeah, I... My thing, like, just because they have the sideboard, I, I feel like, you know, the Force of Vigors, the Foundation Breakers, I think, make that line hard. I was actually going to say, like, something like Dramath Magistrate. Um, Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. I mean, like, once again, like, the, I know the white decks are not super popular. I guess not trying to play, not the decks that would be playing that. Like, I think that's something you would expect to see in, like, you know, Yorian Taxes, but... Or Hammer. Or ham- oh, Hammer, yeah. Hammer. Uh, Dossie Voidwalker is another one. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That card of the beating. Yeah, I think I think having some kind of, you know, it has to, has to be two mana. Like, I think that's kind of um, the line there. Um, but having some kind of two mana taxing creature effect, I think is really good. I think Voidwalker's in this weird spot where I think it's really good on the play, but not great on the draw. Um, just because if I can cycle three cards in my de- into my graveyard before you get the Voidwalker online, I don't really care. Um, I think the Magistrate is better. It's fine in either spot, right on the on the play or the draw. Um, I think Lavinia's in the same in the same boat, where I think you you don't really care when it happens, as long as it happens. Um, yeah, I mean, okay. So, mentioning Voidwalker, I don't remember who posted it in this, but did you see the picture uh, 
Somebody posted it a couple days ago. It was Dothy Voidwalker versus the Calibrated Blast deck. No. Oh, man, it's a banger. They thought... <laughs> <laughs> they just went like turn two Dothy Voidwalker, turn mm-hmm. three Thoughtsies, take mm-hmm. your Emrakul, cast your Emrakul. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. Oh my gosh. Um, no, I've seen a lot. I don't know if you've been in the modern queue with a ton. But I've seen a lot of the calibrated blast deck in the past week. Um, one thing I did do, I did do four leagues. Um, and I think I ran across it three times, but. Uh, it uh, probably two more times than I would have expected to see it. Yeah, I have not actually been playing much Magic in general over the past few weeks, just too busy with life stuff. Yeah. But I have heard that there is, like, infinite amounts of Calibrated Blast going around. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about uh, cool screenshots, though, I did see the unfortunate one um, of XJ versus uh, Dugs. The uh, the the dead gone. That Look, was we our... try not to talk about bad things happening to Merrill Ages. <laughs> I mean, these things happen, and Merrill Age is a strong, independent woman who don't need no cards. But I mean, when when bad things happen, we have to we have to bring them into the light. Make sure people understand that it's not going to happen again. But it happened that time, and it was uh, kind of funny. All right, uh, we should probably get out of here soon, right? Yeah, it's time to go make dinner. Okay. Uh, well, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me uh, in Duke's on Twitch's uh, Twitch VODs, uh, at Expedition Map on Twitter, uh, and, you know, supposedly at Expedition Map on Twitch. Uh, where can people find you? You can find me at Bad Luck Bandit on Twitter. Uh, if you're interested in finding the show, we are at depth underscore podcast on Twitter as well. If you're inst- interested in supporting us in any ways, you heard the bumper in the lo- beginning of the show, um, but we do have uh, a email that you can send. Uh, you can send emails to us. You, we have a PayPal. We have a Patreon. We have a YouTube channel you can check out, uh, which we do need to start sub- like po- posting more videos. We just like it's it's on the to do list. It's on the eventual thing to do um, added to our YouTube channel. Um, but if you do have any things you even want to just mention to us, uh, send us an email, um, right into the show, ask us some questions. Um, you can do that. All the links to that are, are on our link tree on our Twitter page. Um, shout out to all our patrons. We haven't talked to, talked about them in, a, I think way too long, honestly. Um, but our patrons are awesome and they allow us to continue doing what we're doing. Um, the show's always going to be free, but we always appreciate you know, you guys helping us out in whatever ways you guys can. Um, but I think, obviously, I think retweeting our stuff and talking up the show to other people, I think it's the easiest way to support us without, you know, go digging into your pockets. But, you know, just thank you so much to our patrons for uh, continuing to be awesome every single day. All right. Uh, I guess I'll see you next week. See you next week. All right. Bye.